And those are psychological processes. Those are things that happen in the natural realm that get projected up into the spiritual realm. Yeah. And so I, I'm a big fan of using natural level means to address natural level problems and use the spiritual means to address the spiritual problems. But what I often get is what's called spiritualizing. Spiritual bypassing is a, a form of spiritualizing. And spiritualizing is when we elevate something in the natural realm up to the spiritual realm. So I don't know how many times I've, I've known people that were struggling with really severe psychological symptoms that are going to pray the rosary, you know, to resolve that. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Crab and the Cross podcast. I'm your host, Mary Rose, and my guest today is Dr. Peter Malinowski. I believe this is the first time that I've had a psychologist on the show. Um, our conversation was fascinating. Um, it went fairly long, which is usually the sign of a good conversation. I think it's my favorite interview that I did this season. Um, I love exploring the relationship between mind, body, and soul. Um, I think we're learning more and more how much the body affects the mind, you know, how much being in a state of, for example, hunger or dehydration or exhaustion can affect one's mental state. Um, and also the reverse of that, how much one's mental state can affect one's physical state. Um, you know, we talked about in the interview how trauma is kind of the, um, the buzzword in the field of psychology today. Uh, and there's this emerging idea that, you know, emotional and psychological trauma can have physical repercussions. And then you throw the spiritual side into the mix and that's where things really get interesting because, you know, going back to the conversation I had with Andy Hickman a couple weeks ago, we talked about how human nature is to be an embodied being. Like we're not soul inside of body or soul alongside of body, but the soul is the form of the body. And so the union between soul and body is so indivisible that to separate soul and body is to literally die. Um, and so that then poses the question of when is something more of a psychological challenge or when is something more of a spiritual challenge? And, and this is where this concept of spiritual bypassing comes in. You know, a lot of times people who are going through a hard time, they will have a tendency to jump to a spiritual conclusion, for example, they say like, oh, like God must be trying to teach me X or God must be allowing this because of X where there might be a more obvious natural reason for why we're experiencing what we're experiencing. Um, and, and so when we jump to the spiritual, spiritual conclusion, not only can that create tension in our relationship with God, but it can also um, lead us in the opposite direction of finding a solution. I'm, I'm not a psychologist. I don't really have any training in psychology, you know, be, beyond a couple of undergraduate classes. Um, so I can't really assess all the things that he said. Um, I do know that psychology is a field where there is definitely not unanimity related to the causes of certain mental illnesses um, or unanimity about the, the solution um, to, to mitigating those conditions. Dr. Malinowski has some really interesting ideas of his own about the, the origins of these things and, and the solutions to them. I can't really assess them, but I'd love to hear your thoughts if you are someone who's also in the field of psychology, because I think, you know, a lot of times someone can have a coherent theory that works really well on paper, like it seems very airtight and logical, but then like in the clinical field, um, 
you know, it sort of falls apart. And, and so, and I'm not, and I'm not saying this as like a diss of, of Dr. Manoski. I'm just saying this because I don't, I don't know. I think his ideas are really interesting. Um, I'd like to explore them more, but I, I can't like adjudicate them. Um, but I do think the goal of trying to integrate, you know, all the aspects of our human nature when dealing with trauma is, is really important. Um, or, or really when, when, you know, seeking healing in general, you know, this idea that healing doesn't have to include, like, doesn't have to isolate the physical or isolate the psychological or isolate the spiritual. Like, uh, you know, healing can be much more holistic because we're not so fragmented either. Yeah. So if you want to share some thoughts with me, I, I'd love for you to um, comment on uh, my Instagram posts about this interview or comment back on Twitter um, or even send me an email at the crab and the cross at uh, gmail.com. Um, I'll also link in the show notes the um, not only Dr. Malinowski's website, but also the links to his articles about spiritual bypassing. And I really recommend checking them out. Um, unfortunately, the audio on this interview is kind of crusty on my end. It sounds great on his end, but the studio manager was out of town. And so I was recording at home um, with, with a good mic, but on Zoom and, and my audio is always so bad when I when I record on Zoom from home. So sorry that it sounds bad on my end. Okay. Last but not least, get excited because merch is coming. That is right. You will very soon be able to get your own Crab in the Cross merchandise. Um, I am making stickers and magnets with the um, amazing Crab in the Cross graphic. Uh, so make sure you are following on the socials to hear about the merch drop first. If you become a monthly subscriber, which you can do for as little as 99 cents per month, you will guarantee yourself um, not only first dibs on the merch, but the merch will be free. My gift to you in exchange for your gift to me. It's quid pro quo, okay? Um, it's all about the utilitarian relationship between, uh, you know, goods and services um, or something. Okay, and with that, here is my conversation with Dr. Peter Malinowski. Dr. Peter Malinowski is an Indianapolis-based clinical psychologist with 20 years of experience in private practice. He specializes in resolving problems and healing wounds that bridge the psychological and spiritual realms. He is also the president and co-founder of Souls and Hearts, an online outreach dedicated to the integration of psychology, human formation, and the Catholic faith. He and his wife, Pam, have been married for 27 years and share seven children ages 10 to 25. Dr. Malinowski, thank you so much for joining me today. It is a pleasure to be with you, Mary Rose. Thank you for having me on. Absolutely. So, I found out about you because somebody shared an article with me on uh, from your Souls and Hearts um, website about something called spiritual bypassing. And so I want to get into that a lot a little bit later. But first, I just want to start with your background. So how did you get your start in psychology? So like many clinicians, uh, I've got some wounds and my, <laughs> my, getting, my getting into psychology was really an attempt to try to make sure that nothing traumatic happens again. Like I really wanted to protect myself from, right. you know, from trauma happening again, especially spiritual trauma. Mm -hmm. And so, um, and so that kind of was let, what led me into graduate school. 
and um and also just the this desire to be able to um to help people via psychology via human formation to connect more deeply with our lord and the three persons of the trinity and with our lady and so mm-hmm. kind of bringing together psychology and 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 the catholic faith was a big part of that yeah was that your initial career path of desires going into college like did you study psychology <laughs> no i i'm a lat i was a latin american studies major oh, oh and okay. so yeah so i i i looked at myself at 18 and i knew that at age 22 i still wasn't going to know what i wanted to do And so I figured I'll major in something that I could apply to anything once I graduated. So, and it also allowed me to travel. I got to live in Mexico. I got to live in Spain. So I I really enjoyed that. Okay. Okay. And in your um, PhD work, did you specialize in a particular area of psychology? So I started out um, really in, uh, my background's in clinical psychology, but the kind of training I was getting didn't convince me that therapy actually worked. And so I retreated into two different domains. One was behavioral medicine, where I I was convinced that different kinds of psychological techniques could help with pain reduction, could help people with um, with, uh, medical problems. So I did that, medical and rehab psych. And then I also retreated into, uh, into statistics. I'm an applied statistician by training. So that if the psychology thing didn't work out, if I couldn't find a way to um, for it to be really effective and to integrate with psycho with the with the Catholic faith, that I had some way to get out, you know, some other sort of parachute that would allow me right. to, to to make a living. <laughs> but fortunately, it was after graduate school that I found a way to integrate all of that. So, okay, can you explain a little bit about what behavioral medicine is? I think those are <laughs> <same> contradictory. <laughs> Sure. So there was back in the 90s when I was in graduate school, there was more of an emphasis to including psychology and psychotherapy in a more holistic treatment of the human person. And so I learned things like hypnosis for for chronic pain (laughs) to help people because um, because there's a lot you can do with um, reducing the suffering associated with physical pain. Yeah. that can that can really help people. So I was doing uh, some, in, I had some interesting work in there, worked a lot with how do you use relaxation techniques to help with chronic tension headaches? That was oh, another God. area of that I was involved in uh, to help with uh, TMJ, um, the, you know, clenching of jaw and so forth. There's, so it's basically about bringing in um, the the realm of the psyche to help with physical problems to help with medical problems Um, because so oftentimes the body keeps the score the body holds so much um, that actually is psychological and so that was an avenue for me to be able to continue to practice when I had doubts about the efficacy of psychotherapy and and then it led me into more and more understanding more about the the mind-body connection and and uh, and more into a more holistic understanding of the human person okay and so in your experience, do, does hypnosis and some of these behavioral techniques, do they actually work? You know, I don't use hypnosis a lot anymore, um, okay. but um, I found it to be, and, and, and it's been demonstrated empirically to be helpful in help, 
in, in pain control. And so, wow. for example, when I was on my internship, when I was in my residency out in Seattle, um, I would work with burn patients that would have extremely painful burns. This is in 1998. Yeah. And, in, and, in, and in Seattle, they really were on top of this opioid crisis 20 years before or more, you know, before that it was, it was uh, before it was popular uh, in the popular mindset. And so we were really working with people to, to reduce the level of opioid medication that they needed. And, um, and so, yeah, I, I've a, I'm a big believer in behavioral medicine, but the thing is, is that we want to make sure that we're getting to the, to the root of things. And so after I had my degree, after I was practicing, I got into more of a depth psychology and that is more getting to the root of things. And that that's where I was able to find that integration between the Catholic faith and psychology and human formation. Okay. That is really interesting. Like, I, and I mean, I think a lot of people notice this in themselves. Like I struggle with anxiety since I was a child and I would just, I just naturally came up with these techniques to kind of mitigate anxiety <laughs> that I later learned were, were things that are actually taught in therapy, you know, things like honing in on what your senses could perceive, you know, counting floor tiles or, or something like that. And, and there is something about pivoting in the mind that, that works. And I think I, I would like to see those practices, you know, more widely circulated. Well, I would say as long as, because sometimes we do need short-term types of things to help us to get yeah. through the day. Yeah. But I also, as a depth psychologist, really want to get to what is the root? Anxiety is not really a psychological disorder. It's a yeah. symptom. It's a mm -hmm. symptom. And so if you understand anxiety as a result or a consequence, it can be, you can follow that anxiety back to what is generating that symptom. Most of what we call psychological disorders are not psychological disorders at all. Actually, what they are, are symptom constellations. They're not mm. the causes, right? And so yeah. it would be like me saying to you, um, you have a fever and abdominal pain disorder. If what you really <laughs> had was an appendicitis, right? You know? So I want, I really think we need to be clear about what is, what are the symptoms and what's the, what's the disorder, what's causing those symptoms. And in psychology, because we have wildly different um, opinions among psychologists about the, uh, the philosophy, theology, epistemology, and metaphysics that undergird our practice. We don't yeah. agree on those things. Right. As a Catholic, I would argue that all disorder, whether it's psychological disorder, medical disorder, disorder in the world or culture, whatever, all of it ultimately is caused by sin, original mm -hmm. sin, the sins of others and our own personal sins. Now, that doesn't mean that if we've got a psychological uh, psychological symptoms that it's automatically because of our own sins. There's all kinds of reasons that that those kinds of things can come up. But the point is to, to, to make sure that we're walking it back. And that's why I became less interested in behavioral medicine over time is because I didn't want to just treat the symptoms. Right, I actually right. wanted to get to the root causes. Right. So now I'm curious because I think, yeah, the majority of people today probably seek out therapy or psychiatry for things like anxiety and depression, um, you know, varying uh, degrees of severity. But then on the other end of the spectrum, you have these very intense mental disorders, if you want to use that term, like schizophrenia or, you know, extreme bipolar disorder, multiple person or dissociative identity, whatnot. Do you think that even those um, are 
symptomatic rather than like like mm-hmm. symptomatic of something maybe in the past versus more of like a brain structural or brain chemical malfunction well so we are we are body and soul composites okay so the body does impact us and yes there can be organic um causes that can that can generate symptoms that look psychological or psychiatric. So in other words, if you've got a tumor on your pituitary gland, it can cause all kinds of, all kinds of problems in your endocrine system. And so we don't want to neglect that. But what I think is really underestimated is how much of these types of disorders you used bipolar disorder as a, as a, as a, as an example, I think a manic episode is a symptom. I actually look at it as a protective, defensive way of um, of mitigating or avoiding the intensity of unacknowledged grief. If you look at all the all the um, the, the uh, symptoms or the descriptors of a manic episode, they are the photographic negative. They are the polar opposite of what you see in a grief-driven depression. And so you can understand a manic episode as a last ditch effort to convince oneself or to show that one is not about to be overwhelmed by an incapacitating grief response. And so if you understand that, and I go into this in one of my uh, podcast episodes on the interior integration for Catholics podcast, it's called the blue and the orange, mm-hmm. where, um, where I contrast that and I get to what's actually happening in a manic episode. And if you understand that you can actually deal with the deep underlying needs that are not being met, that are being defended against rather than just having to immediately go to pharmaceutical interventions, you know, mm-hmm. to, to, to psychological or, or psychiatric uh, medications. Um, and not saying that people shouldn't take psychiatric medications. I'm just saying that the best that psychiatric medications can do if the origin of this is really psychological is to manage symptoms. They don't get to root causes. Hmm. That makes sense. How have you seen the field of psychology change uh, in the past 20 or so years? So when I started graduate school in 1993, we really had one modern book on trauma. I think the greatest, uh, the greatest strides have been made in understanding trauma so much more deeply than when I started. Uh, And that I think has been amazing. If you look at what's come out in the last 10 years, the last 20 years, even the last five years to inform trauma treatment, especially with an understanding of the human person as not just a single homogenous uniform personality, but is being made up of different parts, if you will. Um, that has been, that has been, I think the single most important development in the last 30 years. I put that on a par with, uh, the discovery of the unconscious, because that was a huge, you know, step forward back in the late 19th century, mid late 19th century and into the 20th century. Yeah. Yeah. Tra- I mean, trauma definitely seems to be sort of the buzzword, you know, a lot of, uh, a lot of psychologists and, um, you know, therapists are putting out a lot more online content these days. And you see trauma response trigger, you know, all these words that kind of deal with like, I guess, core wounds and whatnot popping up all over the place. Um, do you think that every person has trauma or do you more so separate people who've had, you know, abuse, abandonment, you know, addiction, those kind of really 
massive things and say that's trauma. Other people just have maybe stress. So my, uh, my, uh, my partner, the co-founder of Souls and Hearts, likes to, Dr. Jerry Crete, who's a licensed marriage and family therapist, he likes to refer to original sin as original trauma. And I think it's a brilliant, I think it's a brilliant way of understanding yeah. what happened, how catastrophic what happened in the Garden of Eden was for the entire human race. Um, and so, so yeah, I think that we are all subject to events that have been really, really harmful to us. Um, and so, yeah, I think we're all, um, we're all impacted. And of course, there are varying degrees, and there are varying ways that people respond to their trauma. So it's important to remember that trauma is not the specific, the specific event. It's not the thing that happened. It's the response to the event. Okay. So if you imagine like, uh, you know, a bunch of people on a, on an air, on an airliner, an aircraft that, that has a crash landing and they all have kind of roughly the same experience. Okay. Um, that they were all on the same aircraft, you know, crash landed, they're going to have very different responses to that, uh, to that event somewhere around, you know, 30 to 50%, depending on the, on the, on the study will develop PTSD symptoms from that. So mm -hmm. some will be, you know, become diagnosably, um, you know, suffering from PS PTSD, others won't. And a lot of that depends on the rest of the context in which this event happens. And yeah. so, you know, that there you get into, you know, questions around resiliency and meaning making about the event and, and so on and so forth. So trauma is a lot more, um, complex it's more complicated than just you know sort of the the the, the precipitating you know traumatic in quotes event right right no that makes a lot of sense and, and it's interesting too because um i think some people have a reaction right in the moment you know maybe they're panicking as something is happening and other people go almost completely stoic and you know, maybe it's a shock response or maybe they're sort of bearing something and then it pops up later. <laughs> yep. Do you, do you think it's, it's healthier to react in the moment when something bad is happening? <laughs> it it depends. Like it depends on the, it depends on the reaction. You yeah. know, I mean, it's, it's sort of like, you know, um, what what form is the reaction taking and where is it coming from hmm. what i think people what i think is a primary marker of psychological well-being is how integrated the person is in other words how well connected are they to all of their parts to all of their emotions to their thoughts and so forth and in stress responses you mentioned you know a person getting stoic you could you could look at that as um shutting down going into uh, what we call a dorsal um, uh, dorsal vagal response, where they're um, going into a freeze response and uh, you know shutting down. There's also you know hyperarousal, where they go into that fight or flight response. So we want to make sure that when we look at this, we want to see is the person really grounded? Are they are they integrated? Are they in touch with their inner experience, or are they fragmenting inside and uh, and moving into um, a, a more extreme type of, um, uh, of, of physiological state and, um, and therefore having, you know, and along with that, having, uh, a kind of stress response either to the upside or the downside of their window of tolerance. Right. Yeah. I always wondered that in regards to people who are like, 
paramedics or ER workers, cops, like who just deal with high stress, high, you know, I mean, I would call them traumatic events. Maybe we would mm-hmm. cool about the vocabulary, but I mean, really traumatic events and they have to be so calm as they're, you know, putting people back together. And, and <laughs> yep. <laughs> I mean, to me, that seems like an adapt, like a healthy adaptation or else nobody would be able to do that job. But, I, you know, I suppose it's possible that they're, they're sort of just burying all of that. It's possible. Usually that'll break down at a certain point, you know? Yeah. So, so it's a question of, are they working with that in an integrated way where they can be with that in the entirety of their person or do they have a few parts that are basically just managing that and the rest of the parts that are um that are struggling with that are not being seen heard known or given a voice so it depends on how compartmentalized they are with that um Mm -hmm. and how much of that you know is really being metabolized throughout the whole of their being and how much of it is being warehoused and basically stored uh unmetabolized and thereby uh you know generating its own um its own intensity within the person there is such a thing as vicarious trauma which is where you're not traumatized but you're in the presence of other people being traumatized and that can be traumatic in and of itself even if you didn't experience a traumatic event but you're there you know seeing the aftermath yeah yeah i that's probably how i react like if i see somebody else going through something i can almost put myself in their shoes and like mm-hmm. have that that re- reaction. Mm-hmm. Um, wow. Okay, this is interesting. So so let's dive into a little bit of this um, topic that you've you've termed spiritual bypassing. Is um, can you explain what you mean by that and, and describe that phenomenon? Sure. So in 1980, there was uh, a psychotherapist and. Uh, who was really into Buddhism by the name of John Wellwood. And he coined the term spiritual bypassing. And what he meant by that is what he was seeing in some of his Buddhist, um, his Buddhist clients, they were using spiritual techniques, meditative techniques within Buddhism to avoid or evade psychological issues, emotional issues. In other words, they were misusing, in his estimation, meditative practices to try to distance or defensively avoid the intensity of their emotional pain, their the, the, uh, the intensity of their desires, their attitudes, their thoughts, their assumptions, their beliefs. So spiritual bypassing is a misuse of spiritual beliefs or attitudes or practices to distance oneself and avoid doing the work within one's own human formation. It's a, it's a way to avoid psychological symptoms and, and to, and to, and to elevate something that's in the natural realm and spiritualize it away in some way. Mm. And so what I noticed was that over the last 40 plus years, there'd been a fair amount of work done about spiritual bypassing within uh, within Buddhism and among Buddhist psychotherapists. But there had been very, very little discussed about how Christians and specifically Catholics spiritually bypass. Yeah, yeah. Um, now, I could see somebody saying, like, like going back to what you said earlier about how, um, you know, everything in your mind is the root of, of sin, original sin, your sin, or someone else's sin. I could see someone kind of 
punching back and saying, well, that sounds a little bit like spiritual bypassing that you're spiritualizing, uh, you know, this, this psychological problem or this, this brain problem. Well, what I would say to that is there's no failure to acknowledge the pain. That's the central characteristic of spiritual okay. bypassing is a failure to acknowledge one's own natural level experience or somebody else's natural level experience. Yeah. Um, so um, so that would be the critical difference there. Yeah. When I say to you, if you tell me that, you know, you, you're in tears and you tell me that your mother just died and you're really close to your mom. And I say, Oh, Mary Rose, honey, she's in a better place. <laughs> okay. Because yeah. I don't want to deal with the intensity of your grief. Yeah. I, I don't, I get destabilized. I'm like protecting myself against that. That's spiritual bypassing. And even though your mom may, if she, you know, if she had died and she'd gone to heaven, she may be in a better place. That may be true. Right. The, the intentionality, even if I'm not aware of it, of avoiding or evading a natural level experience like my getting destabilized by your grief. Yeah. That that's the hallmark of spiritual bypassing. And what I will say is I see this all the time. I see this so frequently. And I I think it's really important that we identify this because what it does is it alienates people. It sends a message that your feelings, your emotions, your, you know, your natural level human issues are not okay. And they don't really merit uh, investigation. They don't merit being healed. We need to take everything to the spiritual level right away. Yeah. Yeah. And I think a lot of people do that to themselves, you know, they oh, yeah. another person coming in and saying like, oh, well, you know, offer up your suffering or whatever. Mm -hmm. Like we just do it to ourselves. Mm -hmm. And, and so that's, that's one of the things that I think is really important. I think so many spiritual problems that people have are actually spiritual consequences of human formation issues in other words so so when um i, I saw this so early in my career yeah um i saw folks that were really struggling to have any sense of trust in god the father okay um and so you know, I can't pray, Dr. M. I, you know, I don't have any discipline. I need you to help me, you know, to, 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 to get away from these sins, you know, and so forth. And I would say, well, tell me about your father. And I would find that their earthly father was really a difficult figure. They couldn't trust. There was a lot of issues. There might've been abandonment, abuse, whatever. So a bad experience of father was being transferred on to the relationship of God, the father, we call that a transference in psychodynamic psycho psychotherapy. And so this issue around trust had to do with the father issues, not being resolved in the natural realm and being transferred on. Um, same thing with, you know, so many other issues, people that, you know, uh, experienced difficulties with their father and mother are very likely to transfer that onto God. People that, um, that are really struggling with, for example, with authority issues, you know, often you know, that gets translated into the way that they live out their faith and, and different parts of them acting up in various ways. So, so our particular little corner of the vineyard within souls and hearts, what I've really dedicated my career to is to shoring up the natural foundation for the spiritual life. 
Yeah. Um, because grace, as St. Thomas Aquinas tells us, grace perfects nature. It doesn't destroy it. And the, the U.S. Catholic bishops and Pope St. Pope John Paul II talk about how all formation, including spiritual formation, depends on good human formation. And that's right. straight out of uh, Pastores Dabo Vobis, the 1992 Apostolic Exhortation by Pope St. John Paul II. And then the Program for Priestly Formation, 6th edition, really emphasizes that and fleshes that out, especially in the formation of priests. So, so this human level order, this integration is so important. And that's where I think a lot of the spiritual problems come from. It's not particularly a spiritual problem. It's not in its essence a spiritual problem. It's a human formation problem. It's a natural level problem that has a spiritual consequence. But Catholics mostly like to have spiritual problems. It's like much more attractive to have a spiritual problem than to have a, a psychological problem. You'd much rather have a dark night of the soul That's right. That's right. than a clinical depression, you know, right? <laughs> you know, so so there's a there's a desire, you know, to to sort of elevate these things that yeah. I think is really common. Yeah. Well you brought up this topic of trusting in God and, and I think I, when I have conversations with people who are in transition points, you know, trying to figure out what their career is, or maybe they're trying to find somebody to marry, or, you know, there's something going on in their life that's anxiety producing. A lot of people will say, well, if I just trusted God more, I wouldn't be anxious. Mm -hmm. um, is that, you know, and it, and it might not be that they have a bad relationship with their dad or, or their right. mom or anything like that. It's just that they're going through a stressful situation and they feel anxious and they think, well, I, should, I just need to trust God more. Is that also spiritual bypassing, even though it doesn't have that deeper root? It, it depends on whether there's a, a natural level cause. Hmm. It okay. depends on whether there's a natural level cause. It depends if there's an attempt to evade or avoid or escape from from something going on in the natural level so let's say that the difficulty that they are uh that they're difficult the difficulty they have in trusting god goes back to when they were 10 and they prayed and prayed and prayed that um that um that their uh that their beloved dog wouldn't die mm -hmm. you know and you know the dog died right and nobody like was able to be there with the person at the time. Nobody sort of appreciated the depth of the pain of that, how significant that dog was, and how that uh, led to uh, a lack of trust, especially if, uh, let's say, somebody assured them, the vet assured them that the dog would live, but the dog right. didn't live, right? So now all of a sudden, you know, there's there's difficulty in trusting on the natural level, you know, um, you know with an authority figure like the vet. And that could get transferred onto God, for example. So, you know, when I look at these experiences of difficulty and trusting, that's that always comes from experiences. Yeah. The difficulties we have in coming in trusting come from experiences. Infants naturally trust, you know. Right. So when we learn that there are situations where trust isn't warranted or there are people that are not trustworthy. That's happening in the natural realm. And so my question then is becomes, okay, what kinds of things in the natural realm are getting activated and being brought into the spiritual realm? Yeah, yeah. So then in a therapeutic model, do you think that it has to be focused on going backwards and digging through the past and trying to find, you know, some like garbage that's been covered over and then resurfacing it? 
that that so there's a, a debate among different models of therapy about yeah. how much you go back into the past some right. refuse to go into the past at all others spend like a lot of time in the past and originally i was trained in a psychodynamic model which basically was yeah the difficulties in the present are because of unresolved past issues and yeah. so spent a lot of time in the past what i do is actually work to stay very much in the present uh, but I actually work with parts, parts that carry the intensity of unmetabolized or unresolved trauma. And I want to work with them in the present. I want to see how the past is impacting the present and, and to find ways that um, allow parts to be able to release the trauma, to be able to metabolize it, to be able to resolve that trauma into a relatively seamless narrative so that the trauma isn't walled off. It isn't um, compartmentalized, it isn't unmetabolized and creating its own uh, negative dynamics within the person. So, so I think very much about working in the present. And one of the hallmarks, uh, another hallmark of being well integrated is that all of the person can be in the present, not stuck in the past, or not escaping to the future, um, yeah. or worrying about the future, but to be in the now, which is the only moment that we actually possess. Right. That's really hard. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I will tell you this, Mary Rose. Um, if you look at the harm to the human body that happened as a function of original sin, if you look at the catastrophic consequences of original sin to the human body, we're just talking about the physical level, natural level, physical, right? Now you have death that enters the world. Now you have physical pain. You have labor right you have to you know there's the there's the working there's pain in childbirth right yeah. there's the there's the 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 knowledge of that we could get sick you know sickness yeah. and illness there was a devastating impact on the human body and we can recognize that i argue by analogy that the devastation to the human psyche was just as great if not greater but we don't recognize it because we tend to be too habituated. We just assume that that's the way it is. Right. And so, right. Um, so when I think about like, you know, what, where we're trying to go, it's to overcome the, the disorder, the blindness that, that enters in the fragmentation that entered in um, when, when sin entered the world. Yeah. Well, it makes sense because like it's, you know, it's very easy to look at your body or somebody else's body and isolate the part, <laughs> you know, struggling. Like we can't see the psyche, ours or somebody else's. And so it's, you know, we're, we're kind of like groping in the dark, like trying to figure out like, you know, which part hurts, you know? <laughs> well, and I think in our culture, um, there is a, there's less of a capacity to really attune, you know, I'd like to see so much more of a greater capacity to attune, to love somebody, to love another in a really attuned way. And that's why I'm really excited about the developments over the last 10, 20, 30 years in, in trauma work, because I think we can learn so much from what real seekers among trauma therapists and writers are discovering. And then yeah. we can we can take that and we can harmonize that with our Catholic faith to help us with all kinds of things that keep us um, from a deep and intimate and personal relationship 
with the three persons of the Trinity and Our Lady. I believe that most people who leave the church leave the church because they don't see the church meeting their deep needs for relational attachment for connection or their deep integrity needs. They don't yeah. see how that would happen. And those are human level needs. Right. You know, and so and so they, you know, they they look elsewhere. Um, I don't think it's just all I don't think most of that is malice or 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 it's um, you know, calculated even necessarily. So many people just sort of drift away because it just doesn't feel like I'm being nourished and fed. And some of that is their, you know, a lot of that's their responsibility. Seek and you shall find, right? But I also think we can do a far better job of, of, of loving our neighbor. And that's what I, well, that's why I'm really excited about this human formation work, because I think it really empowers us to be able to love our neighbor um, much more deeply. And it allows us to love God with our whole heart. You know, it's interesting in Luke 10, 27, our Lord commands us to love the Lord thy God with thy whole heart and in thy whole soul and thy whole mind and all thy strength. He leads with the heart. He doesn't lead with the soul. He leads with the heart. Yeah. And he, and he says the whole heart, that means every fiber of your being. That means all of you integrated, hmm. working together, you know, in, in, in harmony, in loving God. And what I find is that if you really get to know the uh, the parts of people, if you really enter into their phenomenological worlds, if you're invited in, you will see so much um, conflict inside. You will see parts that have very different images of God, parts that are struggle with God, parts that may hate God or angry or disappointed. You'll see parts that might really regret having married so-and-so, right? The spouse. You see parts that are angry at the children or angry at parents, but those parts aren't given a voice because it doesn't feel safe. There's, right. I argue that there's as many heretical religions within us as there are unintegrated parts. And wow. that what happens often is that there are two or three parts that are basically trying to suppress the other ones and try to keep us safe and try to keep us in God's good graces. You know, right. I, I'm like, I want I want to imitate the model of Jesus. I want to be able to reach out to the parts that are the lost sheep, that are the lepers, that are the 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 tax collectors, you know, the the outcasts within, because those are the parts that carry the trauma. Yeah. It's those, it's those, it's those parts that have been condemned as prostitutes or have been condemned as, as evil, you know, as being possessed, you know, even though there's no demonic possession, usually, you know, I want to be able to reach out to those parts within a person, um, because when those parts can be included, when they can be brought to the table, then we can have what Thomas Aquinas describes as that internal unity or that interior integration that he says is absolutely essential to loving our neighbor. He says, we cannot love our neighbor more than we love ourselves. And that the way that we love ourselves is the model, the template for how we're going to love other people. So anything we won't tolerate within ourselves, we will not tolerate within other people very well, because once it starts to come up in another person, it'll begin to resonate with the parts of us that hold that same thing. And if we can't tolerate that, then we're going to shut it down in the other person, which is why we spiritually bypass, which is why we use defensive maneuvers to try to keep ourselves safe. That's the reason behind spiritual bypassing is because it 
It tries to keep us safe. It tries to keep us from being destabilized. It tries to keep us from being overwhelmed. It tries to keep us from being, uh, de- you know, uh, to, you know, destabilized. So, so that's that's the function of it. And the more peace we can have, and I'm talking about a deep peace. I'm talking about the peace that that Christ gives. The more available we're going to be to um, to be able to love our neighbor in a way that really makes a difference. Yeah. I mean, I think a lot of people don't feel like it's like they're allowed to express certain sentiments to God. Like if somebody feels deeply disappointed in God because they thought they, they prayed for something and they didn't get it, or they expected God to provide in a scenario and, you know, they felt like they were just left hang to dry. Like, I, I don't think people feel like they're allowed to complain to God and say, God, right. you hurt me, you know, cause right. that sounds like blasphemy. Yeah. And, and, and there are parts that are afraid that if I say that to God, he's going to smite me. He's right. going to smite me. Right. You know, look at what he did to Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, right. uh, look at what he did, you know, they, you know, so, so there are parts that are uh, trying like with good intentions, trying to protect us. Yeah. Um, but the issue is, you know, how are they going about it? What are the the means being used? I will sometimes use this. Um, I will try. I will sometimes use this analogy to imagine um, a uh, a three year old child who was kidnapped, right, and um, and taken away for fifteen years, and and raised. Well, let's say let's say thirteen years. All right, and raised by his captors and the captors told him that his parents didn't love him. That's why, you know, they didn't go looking for him, you know, and, you know, and, and, and filled his, and filled his experience with these lies. And uh, let's say that then, you know, 13 years later, law enforcement finds the the six, now 16 year old restores the 16 year old to his parents, you know, would his father and mother, would they understand if he had some confused ideas about who they were? <laughs> right, you know, right, right. <laughs> you know, that's our situation. We've been hijacked. You know, yeah. we've been we've been kidnapped in a sense by sin. We've had the uh, the harmony that was meant to be there ruptured by sin. God understands if we have these difficult, you know, feelings and difficult misunderstandings and, and ways that we misinterpret and and I'm convinced that he would rather us bring it to him and try to work it out with him than to hide it. You know, would the parents of that 16 year old, you know, get all church lady on him and say, don't, 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 that's disrespectful. How can you say that about us? You know, when his experience has been, you know, to, to been alienated from them. And that's what happens in our world is we do, I think, primarily live in a way that's pretty alienated from God. We don't really know him. And so, of course, we're going to have distorted understandings of who he is. But if we seek him, if we're trying to engage, even if we've got anger, even if we've got hatred, even if we've got disappointment and grief and and and, and fear, you know, and we bring that to him and we struggle with him, we wrestle with him, you know, that is so much more appealing to him than if we hide it away and we try to pretend it's not there and we try to put up, you know, only the, the bits of ourselves that seem like socially appropriate in the shop window. And we, we warehouse all the other stuff, you know, way in the back so that it never sees the light of day. That's not loving him with our whole heart. 
Yeah, I think a lot of people, you know, especially those who are trying to practice their faith, they know the, the proposition. And so they just try to keep affirming the proposition. <laughs> yep. They're feeling they're like, God is good all the time. God right. loves me. God's yep. protecting me. And they, just, they just keep affirming the proposition and, and hoping that the rest of them will like, you know, get in line, basically. Yeah. And that's a kind of spiritual bypassing, you know, mm-hmm. to just say, you know what? Hey, everything's good. Good. God loves us. This is just our cross to bear. Right. Now, sh- now shut up with all that because right. if you say that, he's going to smite us. Because loving God is going to smite us if you if right. you talk about that. You know. So there's all these inconsistencies, and and parts of us are like, hey, you know what? I, I don't want to be with a God like that. Mm-hmm. If he's, if if I can't if I can't be real with God and I can't say what I'm going to say, I, I'm not really all that interested in being God. I think a lot of parts of people really they don't want to go to hell, but they don't really want to be face to face with God either. Right. They really, what they really want, what they really want, is limbo. They want a place yes. of natural <laughs> happiness where there is no God. That's exactly right. right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so 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 what I would like to do is to be is to invite you know your innermost self, the innermost self of 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 everyone I I you know that I work with. Uh, either in my practice or in the resilient Catholics community or in souls and hearts I, uh, to, 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 to gently and in a way that feels safe enough, bring these parts in to the healing presence of our Lord, bring these yeah. parts into the healing presence of our lady, because our, 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 our God, the father and Mary, our mother, they are our primary parents. They're our primary parents. Our earthly parents are our secondary parents. Uh, the God, the Father, Mary, our mother, those are our primary parents. And as a mental health professional, as somebody who's really interested in human formation, I want to I want to be able to be reformed. I want my human formation to be enhanced, to be corrected, to be reshaped by my primary parents who love me. Um, but in order for that to happen, parts have to be able to go, it goes back to your question around trust, right? They have to be able to trust that that's not going to be fatal, that that's not going to be lethal, that that's not going to lead to to harm. And what I see is that so many parts have God images that are really warped and twisted by the experiences that people have had from authority figures, father figures, mother figures, and then the way they've made sense of those experiences. And that's really largely unconscious. That's not something that people profess, but man, it's really operative in the lives of so many Catholics. Oh, absolutely. Um, and I don't know, did you happen to see the um, the documentary that just came out about the, the Duggar family? Are you familiar with them? I've, you know, I've, I've followed the Duggar family a little bit, but I have not seen the, the documentary. Okay. Well, it's very interesting because it kind of exposes there's like a deeper, like more prolific ideology that they were were followers of. And there was this guy, his name is Bill Gothard. He's like the head of this Institute of Biblical Living or something. And he had like parenting books and and all these sorts of things and they described this one practice that they would do with their infants where uh I think they called it like the the blanket game or something like that where they take like a six-month-old they let this the, the kid pick out a toy that they like they put them on the blanket they put the toy off the blanket and every time the child reaches for the toy they hit the kid to teach it obedience because you're supposed to be obedient to God and your parents and <laughs> you just think like that that like how much kind of spiritual trauma is happening at such a young age where it's it's completely fear-based you know well and it and it, and an infant at six years old it's not until about nine or ten months of age in developmental in developmental psychology with that 
that that infants are able to to determine cause and effect relationships. In other words, they're not even going to put the punishment. Wow. Yeah. Right? yeah. That, that's just, it's just going to seem random to them. Right. You know, like just bad things happen right. and bad things happen from mom and dad. Uh, that's like yeah. going to be the, that's going to be the primary message I would think. So, you know, so yeah. And then if it's framed as, yeah, and this is what God wants. This is, this is actually, these are the representatives of God. These are his people, you know, then, you know, for those kids to grow up with parts that say, you know what? I don't think I want anything to do with that God. Mm. You know, yeah. I, I certainly yeah. don't want to spend forever with him looking right. at him face to face. Seems, right. you know, so, so, you know, there's, there's this, this whole, uh, these whole, these, these human formation obstacles that come up, you know, to us being able to, to very deeply and intimately connect in a personal way with, with, with God, the father, with Mary, our mother. And so, and so, yeah, the, what we do, what we're doing at Souls and Hearts, for example, is all about overcoming that natural level, those natural level obstacles, yeah. uh, really, re, you know, really deliberately allowing ourselves to be reshaped at the natural level. So. Right. Yeah. One thing that I've, I've noticed a lot of people say or, or assume is that, um, it's kind of like this sort of Kantian version of, of Christianity where whatever the hardest option is, is probably the thing that God wants you to do because you're going <laughs> to struggle and suffer. Um, can you speak a little bit of, to, to that um, idea, which I, I think we'd probably both agree is like a misconception? So, yeah, it, that, it's interesting where those kinds of ideas come from. Mm -hmm. I tend to think that there are it's so common in Catholic and in, in serious Catholics, devout Catholics, that they have a part that you might think of as their good boy part or their um, good girl part or their moral compass or something. And it has very stringent requirements for what it means to be a good Catholic. Yeah. Very demanding standards. Sometimes I call these Catholic standard bearers. <laughs> but if you get to know those parts, usually they're not in touch with God. They have not um, checked out their particular program or plan of life with God. They've yeah. just assumed it to be true, right. you know? And so it can often be really liberating to connect with God. Uh, and that might be through a confessor or spiritual director as well that can give good pastoral advice and good pastoral counseling um, to, or, or through their own prayer to see what God is actually asking. Remember, God is a father. Would we treat our children like that? Would we say, <laughs> it's always the hardest option, you know? We're always going to serve you the vegetables you like the least, <laughs> you know? And and, 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 and and remember, I mean, I think people, the reason people die for God, the reason why the martyrs were willing to put their lives on the line was because they loved God and because they felt the love of God. They sensed it. They tasted and saw the goodness of the Lord. They sensed how much God loved them and that God loved them first. Yeah. Right. And what a lot of is going on when you, when you have these, these Catholic standard bearer parts, these good boy parts or good girl parts driving the bus is that we're trying to be acceptable to God. We're hoping that God will tolerate us. You know, that, and that's not very motivating. You know, I mean, it, it's much less motivating than saying, you know what, I'm going to do this because I have a deep sense of being a beloved, cherished, treasured child of God. 
You know, if you yeah. have a deep sense of being a, a beloved little daughter of God who, who, and God delights in you and our lady delights in you, you're going to be far more inclined to do what they want yeah. than if you're looking at God as having his arms crossed and his, in his hand, you know, on the trap door to hell. So you stand before his desk on the day of your particular judgment that he's, he's just sort of itching to pull it. And you're like hoping right. that you can sneak in. That's not somebody that inspires a lot of like filial love and confidence, sure. right? Sure. It's more like, um, I'm going to be here out of fear. I'm going to, yeah. you know, I'm doing what I'm doing out of, out of a sense of like, just hoping to survive. And that, that isn't, that isn't, that isn't the kind of love that God's looking for. You know, that's not the kind of relationship that he wants with us. Yeah. And I think with like, you know, people, you know, you notionally are aware that you, you ought to follow the will of God. And so some people kind of bypass discernment by, you know, just choosing the hardest option. But I think other people, um, and I know I've fallen into this, is that you kind of, you try to like wait for a sign, you know, and you hope that you get some like very tangible, concrete sign. <laughs> Do you think that, that's another um, spiritual bypassing tactic that a lot of Catholics fall into? It can be. It certainly can yeah. be. There are times where, uh, you know, our moral compass parts or our, our Catholic standard bearers or good boys or good girls will hijack will hijack discernment and get all mystical, you know, yeah. and, uh, you know, and say, ah, yes. And sometimes there's a misinterpretation of St. John of the Cross, uh, when he says, you know, be inclined toward the most difficult. He doesn't say always choose the most difficult. Yeah. He says, be inclined toward. And I would say that is at a particular level of spiritual development. Mm -hmm. I don't think we should impose that on three-year-olds. <laughs> you know, so I think we have to be humble about where we are in the spiritual journey. This is where a good spiritual director can be really helpful. This is where, you know, a good confessor can be really helpful. Um, because then, you know, there's a way that you're, you're getting that from somebody else who knows you and who has special graces of state to be able to help direct and guide you when there are decisions to be made. So I'm a big fan of spiritual direction, big fan of confession. Um, and then, and then I'm also like, a big fan of like working on this natural level stuff because that allows us to have a much greater clarity about these things. Yeah. Um, I sometimes find people and they, and, and they're really at the level of, um, of playing with Tinker Toys and Lincoln Logs in the spiritual life. This is sort of my estimation. And they're sort of like, does God want me to play with the Tinker Toys right now? Or does yeah, God want me to play yeah. with the Lincoln Logs? Which right. one should I play with? Oh no, there's Lego. Should I play with those? What does God want me to do? You know, and it, yeah. it's, they get very wound around the axle about things that I'm not sure God's that worried about, you know? Right, and right. it's like, why don't, how about you play? Can we play together? Right. Right. Would you like to play with the Lincoln Logs together? I'll play Lincoln Logs with you. I'll play with the Legos, you know? And like, so I think what's happened is that again, we lack that, we lack that uh, confidence that God actually loves us. Mm. And so I think a lot of the work in the spiritual life, now I'm speaking outside my lane here. Okay. So, but this is my, this is my expectation. A lot of the, the spiritual work is around, can I tolerate being loved by God? Can I receive the love of God first? Mm. I see so many people, they are really trying to love God. They're really trying to love their neighbor and they're doing it in these sort of, um, in these sort of um, distorted ways, because they've not really experienced the love of God. You can't generate love on your own. Mm -hmm. You can only reflect and pass on love that you've received. And so what I, what I, what I'm 
working with with so many people is can you be open to the love of God? Can you allow the love of God to permeate your entire being so that your entire being can reflect that love back to God and to your neighbor? Or are there going to be no-go zones where like, nope, God, you're not allowed there. You're not allowed to see that part because if you saw that part, that part would offend you. And, you know, then we'd be in a bad place. You know, can we bring all of our, uh, all of our being into relationship with God? Yeah. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people who fear that if they kind of going back to like the Lincoln Logs, Tinker Toys example, <laughs> if they choose the wrong thing, you know, <laughs> that they fall out of favor with God, you know, and not even choose the wrong thing of like, choose a sin, which I mean, <laughs> right. you know, but like, if they take the wrong, go to the wrong college or right. you know, pick the wrong career or, you know, marry the wrong, quote unquote, wrong, wrong, wrong person. person. Wrong vocation, right? Yeah, yeah. this is a huge thing. And one of the most comforting things, and I can't remember who who quoted this, but was basically that God knew before the beginning of time, every decision you would ever make, Mm -hmm. you know, and he's got a plan for every decision you ever make. You know, we really need to believe in Romans 8, 28, all things work together for good for those who love the Lord who are called according to his decree, all things, including your mistakes, including your sins. And this quote uh, was something like God rewrites the symphony to accommodate your off notes. (laughs) He rewrites the symphony to make it even better than it would have been um, with your off notes. And so you know, this, if we can really hold on to that with the confidence of little children, uh, then that's all good. Then it becomes all like a kind of play, like God's going to make up, like there, there's no way that we can derail the universe. But so many people, there's so many people that believe that there are only off roads on the highway to have or off ramps on the highway to heaven. There's no on ramps. There's only off ramps. And, uh, and I just think it's so much more robust than that. You know, I think it's just the the relational the relationship is just so much robust, and I and I I sometimes will work with these God images, and I'll say let's let's imagine that God is a Burger King manager, all right, and you work at the Burger King. Let's say that you know he's not your heavenly father, he's your employer, and you are working really hard to to do a good job on the fryer, you know, and you you really want to serve the customers well. Like he would be better to you. That that Burger King manager would be better to you than you imagine God treating you, you know, just, you know, and that's not even a father, a daughter relationship or a father son relationship. So this idea that we are beloved sons and daughters and that God loves us first and we don't have to earn that love yeah, is I think really, really where we need to get back to and where to start, because so often we are trying to earn the approval of God because we learned that that worked with other people. Mm. that worked with our parents that worked with teachers that worked with coaches that worked with our scout leader whatever you know and um and so it's a different we we anthropomorphize god we cast god in the image and likeness of 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 men and women that we've known you know and it doesn't actually generalize very well right right that's so true and those are psychological processes those are things that happen in the natural realm that get projected up into the spiritual realm And so, you know, I'm a big fan of using natural level means to address natural level problems and use the spiritual means to address the spiritual problems. But what I often get is what's called spiritualizing. Spiritual bypassing is a a form of spiritualizing. And spiritualizing is when we elevate something in the natural realm up to the spiritual realm, you know, so, so I don't know how many times I've, I've known people that were struggling with really severe 
psychological symptoms that are going to pray the rosary, you know, to resolve that. I'm a big fan of the rosary. I pray, I pray 10 decades of the rosary a day, but I, I just like I wouldn't pray the rosary if I, I was in a car accident and I had arterial bleeding, I would, you know, get a tourniquet on there. I would, I would get okay. to the, I would get to the hospital, you know, like natural level means for that natural level problem. But when it comes to the psyche, there's a lot of suspicion. There's a lot of distrust. There's a lot of ignorance around like those kind of natural means being, being helpful. Yeah. So when it, it comes to kind of that, like, you know, fear of making the wrong decision, that decision-making anxiety, you do think, you know, and, and just hope you get a, a, a mystical sign that says like, go that way, you know, <laughs> pick this, that people should just like amplify their natural decision-making abilities by gathering information and trying to make the best possible decision. And then just kind of trust that God's going to lead them or, or that God's going to, you know, not allow them to jump over the cliff uh, or jump into the cliff, you know, without them having fully seen that the cliff was there. I mean, I think we really need to trust in what our Lord says, seek and you shall find, hmm. seek and you shall, you shall find, uh, I, you know, that doesn't mean he doesn't say instantly. He doesn't say seek and you shall find immediately. Right. right? So sometimes there's a time lag there, but to have that confidence. And what I would say is again, to be open to the love of God, to yeah. be open and to foster that childlike, um, that childlike connection and to deal with the natural level issues that get in the way of that. Yeah. Because if we allow God to love us, it will, it will make it so much easier to love him in return. We won't mm -hmm. be doing as much of the white knuckling, yeah. you know, in terms of the loving. When you possess a virtue, as opposed to exercise a virtue or practice a virtue, when you possess that virtue, that means that it comes naturally, spontaneously. It's like part of your nature. That's what we want to get to. Um, and so when it comes to the virtue of charity, of loving God and others, that's an infused virtue. It's given, it's a given as a free grace from God. We need to accept it. You know, we can't just earn it. We can't just, you know, develop it, you know, like we can with certain natural virtues. So, right. um, so I would say that that openness is really, really characteristic. And going back to this being like little children, if you look at these uh, Catholic standard bearers, these good boys, these good girls, these parts that drive our bus, the moral compass and all, they do not look like little children. You know, they do not act like little children. They act like very busy executives of big corporations that are trying to get an incredible amount of stuff done, you know? Mm -hmm. And so, um, so yeah, the confidence that God is actually who he says he is, who he's yeah. revealed himself to be to us. Yeah. So, I mean, you're a, do you, do you still practice as a therapist? Yeah, I'm about half time in a private therapy. Okay. And I, st I, I'm a lot of what we're talking about, the spiritual stuff I will address at times, but I stay very much in the natural realm because that's oh, where okay. my training is. Okay. That's where my training is. Yeah. You know, I, I, my training is as a clinical psychologist. And so I'm dealing with the natural level. And so people often ask me, I mean, I've got a decision to make. I don't know if I should go, you know, if I should go to the seminary or not or whatever. I'm like, I don't know but I'm happy to kind of explore that with you. I, I don't have the grace right, of state right. to, I can't read your soul. Right, right, right. So, so, but what, what I want to do is clear out the, um, the psychological impediments. And when I find that if I spend my time doing that, the person is freer to be able to respond more fully to the touches and the inspirations of God. However, those come to that person. So.
Yeah, because I'm because I'm wondering because you've you've brought a lot of this back to like just one's relationship with God and how that can, you know, our image of God, a relationship with God can be so off. So in like a, you know, clinical setting, like, are you you are you bringing that up explicitly, or are you just trying to clear out, you know, maybe their relationship with their own parents or things like that to kind of help them create the space to then have a healthier, you know, perception of God. So in my private practice, I mean, it's very clear in my consent forms and on my website that I'm a Catholic therapist and that I operate from a Catholic understanding of the human person. I operate from a Catholic anthropology. And so I bring that in there, but I'm very careful not to uh, take on the role of a spiritual director or something like that, because I'm not, I don't have those graces. I'm not, that's not my role. And so I see myself as a clinical psychologist but every practice of clinical psychology is informed by philosophy, theology, epistemology, and metaphysics. Right? Yeah. The, those 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 disciplines uh, create the starting points for um, for the practice of psychology. For example, if you go and you see a feminist psychotherapist, you know you can expect that the way that that feminist psychotherapist practices psychotherapy is going to be informed by a feminist worldview. Right. They're pretty clear about that. They're actually among the best at articulating what is the underlying principles? What are the underlying principles that undergird the therapy that inform the therapy? Uh, And so, you know, I I do that as a as a matter of informed consent. And and almost everybody that comes to me is seeking that, you know. Um, And so so I do that. But again, I limit myself. I, you know, I when somebody says, is is God asking me, you know, to 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 reinvest more deeply in, um, in my relationship with my husband, you know, well, I don't want to get all mystical and say, yeah, God told me, look, you know, I just, up, do, 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 just got an incoming right. message from God. You right. know, that that's what you're supposed to do. You know, I'll say, well, you know, let's, let's, let's explore this. What would it mean for you to, to invest more deeply in your relationship with your spouse? That would terrify me. Oh, that's interesting. Well, what's terrifying about that, right? Close relationships always lead to disappointment. Well, that's what I want to deal with, right? I'm not, you know, I want to get to, I want to get to what's happened. What are the formative experiences that have caused some kind of deformation in their, in their, in their, in their, in their human formation? I want to know what, what's actually been harmful to them and how can we correct that? So the patron saint of souls and hearts is St. John the Baptist. And why? Because he prepared the way for the Lord. He prepared the way for the Lord. And that's what we see ourselves doing. Like souls and hearts, for example, is we don't have a spirituality. We don't have a a specific Catholic spirituality within souls and hearts. Um, For example, we don't, we're not Benedictine or Franciscan or charismatic or anything like that. Right. Um, because what we're doing is like pre-spiritual in a sense, we're really working on the human formation algebra, Yeah. Uh, the human formation arithmetic. So you can do the spiritual yeah. algebra, right? Yeah. I mean, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's before all of that, it's the stuff that you didn't get when you were two or three or eight years old. Um, it's the stuff that happens and has not been resolved. And that has led to these, this deformation, this human deformation, how can we resolve that? So there's a lot of freedom. And we think that it's really important that you do this for another reason. And that is, I don't think purgatory, so this is speculative Melanoski eschatology okay. here. Okay. So, so buyer like beware, it. right? Caveat emptor, <laughs> caveat emptor. Um, you know, but I, I think that one of the functions of purgatory, it's not just about the atonement for sins. It's also about correcting 
any disorder within the, the human within the human person. And yeah. so, you know, this uh, what I say is look, this this human deformation, this disorder in human formation is gonna have to be resolved either on earth or in purgatory in order for you to get to heaven. Right. You know, and everything I've read about that is like, yeah, it's better to do it here, <laughs> you know. Right, it's, right. You know, <laughs> so so it's right. not just about it's not just about resolving disordered desires or you know in order to 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 open up a path to, to a deeper uh to it's not just about like the getting order in, in the human um in the human realm of the natural realm for its own sake it's to allow us to have that order permit us or 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 allow us or or it's required in order for us to come to face face to face with God. And so it's about yeah. that too. So I look at what, like what I do is really being sort of in a sense, pre-spiritual. Mm -hmm. And yeah. that's the area that I think has been neglected, uh, you know, that hasn't gotten enough attention. Uh, and so that's really what I've committed my life to. That's what souls and hearts is all about. That's what my practice is about in various ways. Yeah. So. Yeah, no, for sure. Do you have any, um, experience? Like, have you ever, um, given any, seminars or anything like that to seminarians or to priests to kind of give them some of these guiding principles in their own practice as pastors? Yeah, lots of it over the years, over the oh, last really? 20 years. Yeah. Um, and we have a number of priests and religious that are members of the resident Catholics community. Uh, that is a, an online community where we, we have a specific program to really work through human formation issues. It's a year long, 44 units, um, very much, um, very, very structured. And the beautiful thing about it is that you do it together. You do it in these um, companies of nine people, uh, usually. They're sort of modeled after the the uh, Lord of the Rings. So you have these companies <laughs> of nine people. And then you, have, then you have two companions within that company of two particular companions that you check in with every day about accountability. You know, am I, am I working my human formation plan? Um, and then, uh, then, yeah, so we have uh, about 150 that are in right now, another hundred or so are joining. And so okay. you can check that out at our website, soulsandhearts.com backslash RCC. We bring, we're bringing into that the best of human formation resources. It's not psychotherapy. It's often a really great adjunct to psychotherapy or counseling, but it can stand alone. Um, and it's really a guided, structured way for you to work through a lot of this stuff uh, without uh, the, uh, the immediate presence of a therapist. Okay, so um, with so that... Yeah. Is that more so for, um, like you mentioned, you know, clerics and whatnot, is that more so for people who have a role kind of over? That's open to, to, to all Catholic adults. You have to be oh, Catholic. Okay. You have to be Catholic. You have to be 18 years of age. You okay. have to, you have to believe in what the church teaches. Okay. So it's not just being, you know, just identifying as Catholic, but. You right. Know. Right. Um, and there has to be sort of a, a, a willingness and appreciation and openness to working on human formation um and you know our website soulsandhearts.com backslash rcc or you can just google the resilient catholics community it's a lot of information about that but um but yeah it's 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 been really helpful to a lot of people to being able to to get at these things and to think about these things in really new and different ways you know yeah. and about using appropriate means you know, human level means natural level means to resolve natural level problems. Yeah. So I have one more question for you, and then I'll, I'll let you just speak a little bit more about hearts and souls. Cause I think it's a yeah. great resource. Um, 
I'm not sure if you have much familiarity with this, but there's some different kind of spiritual healing movements, you know, things like, I don't know if you're familiar with Unbound. Mm-hmm. Uh, what, what are your thoughts on those? Do you think that those, I mean, cause they, they do kind of seek to get to, you know, the heart of like trauma that affects your relationship with God and like, you know, mm-hmm. trying to, but, but it's done in a very truncated fashion. A lot of times where you, you know, you go before a small group of people, you kind of spew everything they pray over you and all and all this what what are your thoughts on that kind of model like spiritual healing model that we see i think it's more common in charismatic circles but Mm -hmm. you know it's it's Mm -hmm. definitely in the mainstream too it depends on the degree to which the, the 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 people leading stay within their realm of competence Mm. and and where they are gifted where they're graced and where they're trained yeah. Um, because I've seen that work really well for people and I've seen it be really harmful for people, mm-hmm. you know, and I'm not speaking about unbound particularly or, yeah. or any particular organization. So I want to be clear about that. Um, and a lot of it, what I look at is, okay, how well formed are the leaders? You know, how, how well do they recognize the limits that they have? How willing are they to refer to competent therapists, especially trauma therapists, if they wind up with something that's beyond their capacity. Um, What I, what I do get concerned about sometimes is, like I said, this over-spiritualization, like, um, you know, you have, you have an evil spirit of depression, you know, let's, Mm -hmm. let's cast that out. Now, Now, in the charismatic movement, that's not typically how they would express it. So that's more, you know, I've, I've run across that just a little bit, but we want to make sure they do that kind of have like the like, and, and I don't know if they mean spirit like demonic spirit, but let's say like I renounce the name of Jesus, I renounce the spirit of depression, or I, I renounce the spirit of lust, or I re- you know, and I don't know if if so that's... when it comes to psychological symptoms, like I renounce the spirit of 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 anxiety or I renounce the spirit of depression, I'm not into that. Okay, I see that as a symptom, you know. Mm. And what I say that what I say that I renounce this fever. <laughs> You know, the, 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 the depression or the, um, or the anxiety is a gift actually, because Mm -hmm. what it's, it's the symptom points back to the cause. If you're willing to listen to the symptom, if you're willing to follow the symptom back to the cause, it's absolutely essential because if you were able to renounce all of your symptoms, you'd never get to your root cause. It would sort of be like, you know, the, uh, the dashboard lights on your car. If you manage to like disable them, I'm old enough to back in the day. I'm really old. So if you go way back, if you knew which fuses to pull out uh, on your car, you could, you could make sure that none of your hazard lights ever went on. Yeah. You could shut off all the hazard lights and you feel better for a while, right? You don't have those symptoms, that little light flashing, the engine light flashing. That's uncomfortable. Let's pull that, let's pull that fuse, stop that flashing. But if you're going to throw a rod, you know, in another four miles, you know, you didn't stop that. You didn't solve the problem because you silenced yeah. the symptoms. That's why I think the most effective psychotropic, um, the most effective psychotropic medications, the most effective pharmaceutical drugs for psychological conditions. That's why I think they have so many side effects. Hmm. It's, 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 if, and so many side effects that have no known relationship with the, with the, the chemical, the neurochemical action of the drug. I, what I think is happening is that the distress that was being expressed by one symptom that got knocked out by the drug is now going to be expressed in another way. Hmm. Freud called this symptom substitution, and it's why he stopped using hypnosis. 
He stopped oh, using hypnosis. He stopped using hypnosis because it only addressed the symptom. If you had somebody with a hysterical paralysis, right, who came in and couldn't move their arms, you know, and he solved that by by doing hypnosis, he'd find that they'd come up with another symptom because he wow. wasn't getting he wasn't getting to the depth, right? And what yeah. I think is happening is that the more effective a psychotropic drug is, the more likely it is to have side effects because you've knocked out the original distress signal. You've knocked out the symptom. And so, and so another symptom comes up. So what I want to do as a depth psychologist is I want to listen to the symptom. I want to hear what that symptom is telling me about the deep need that's not being met. Hmm. And if you meet the deep need, the symptom goes away and you don't have another symptom to come and take its place, which is why I'm really concerned about pharmacopoeia, you know, where you chase one, you know, you, chase symptoms with a drug and then you get other symptoms so you, you add on more drugs to treat those symptoms and and soon you've got this you know this huge pharmaceutical cocktail this is not to condemn to condemn psychotropic medications in general sometimes they're really helpful especially short-term situations or other things but but i think we need to be really thoughtful about like what is the underlying cause and if we just assume that depression is the disorder we're gonna we're gonna be misguided because that's just that's just a symptom constellation so yeah yeah Wow. Well, I've, I've learned so much from this conversation. I, I definitely want to have you back to talk more about these <laughs> things. Um, but I'll close by just letting you share a little bit about hearts and souls and like the inspiration behind that and, and just some of the um, services or that you guys offer. Well, I really appreciate that. Thank you, Mary Rose. So souls and hearts and our website is at soulsandhearts.com. We just all run together, soulsandhearts.com. That is our online outreach to bring the best of human formation resources to the to the web. And we have podcasts like my Interior Integration for Catholics podcast. We have the weekly reflections. Uh, if you go to soulsandhearts.com backslash blog, uh, if you go back to February, February of 2023, you'll see those spiritual, uh, you'll see those uh, the the spiritual bypassing articles. Uh, we write a, a, a pretty substantial article every week. You can sign up for those uh, if you'd like to get them in your email inbox every Wednesday. So we do a lot of free stuff like that. Um, we have courses. Um, we have uh, shows that we've done, but we also have communities. Um, and I mentioned the resilient Catholics community. This is where we do a, a lot of really concentrated human formation work. Yeah. And it's, it's really, I think unique because what it does is it allows us to together to be on this pilgrimage toward better human formation. And the goal isn't to, it isn't supposed to be like some sort of psychological day spot where, you know, we put the cucumbers on your eyes and you have the, you have the, the, the face, the, the face cream, and we light the aromatherapy candles and we say, I'm okay. You're okay. And we affirm ourselves. And all that. It's all about, it's all about getting ready to love, right? Because yeah. St. Thomas Aquinas says we cannot love our neighbor more than we love ourselves. So how do we, how do we love ourselves in an ordered way so that we can have this interior integration to being able so that we can love the Lord, our God with our whole heart and we can love our neighbor. That's what it's really all about. It's about helping you along the road uh, to, to heaven into a deep, intimate and personal relationship with God, our father, Mary, our mother and, and, and Jesus and, and the Holy spirit. And so that's what that's all about. And how we do that is really experiential. It's not about just head learning. It's yeah. really about the heart, right? So we are souls and hearts. We're not just about the salvation of souls. We're mm -hmm. about the salvation of hearts. And if you go to scripture and you, and, and you look up heart, the heart is mentioned over a thousand times, much more frequently than the soul. 
Scripture talks about the heart a lot more than it talks about the soul. And if you understand the biblical understanding of the heart, it's the seat, it's the center of the human person. So the heart is, you know, is includes our body, it includes our emotions, it includes our desires, our attitudes, our beliefs, our assumptions, it includes all of this messiness, you know, within us, if you will. And so, um, so I think about this in terms of the salvation of hearts. If you save the heart, you'll save the rest of the person. You'll save the soul, you know? Um, and so, so that's what it's all about. And it's very experiential. It's very much, it's very relational. And so we are actually fostering this process of tolerating being loved, of you loving you in your parts, right? Because this idea that we're supposed to love ourselves in the second great commandment, that implies some sort of relationship within ourselves. We don't have a single monolithic uniform personality. We need to break away from that understanding of the human person. So, so that's what it's all about. It's very different than what is typically out there. And uh, I was, I, I just, uh, about three years ago, uh, a little more than three years ago, I started the Interior Integration for Catholics podcast in the midst of COVID to help people get through the a community kind of grew up around that. And they were like, well, how do we do this? How can we do this more? How can we do this yeah. more intense, in, in, intentionally and more, more intensively? And so that's, that's where we got started with, uh, you know, an intrepid few dozen folks that were willing to step out and try it with me. And we, we made mistakes and we, you know, we revamped some things, but, um, but now it's much more established. So yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's the, that's that's the sort of the center. We also have a community for therapists, Catholic therapists, called oh, okay. the Interior, called the Interior Therapist Community, which is all about the human formation of the Catholic therapist. It's not about professional development. It's not about continuing education. It's about Catholic therapists getting what they need at the human level. Because what I saw doing a lot of supervision is that the primary things that led to therapeutic impasses that led to therapy stalling out where the therapist was uncomfortable, destabilized, anxious, worried, whatever had to do with what was coming up within the therapist's own system. It wasn't about the client. It was about the therapist and the therapist limitations. And that's what I wanted to be able to address. And that's what we deal with in the interior therapist community. So, so those are two big, the two big communities we have in souls and hearts, but um, we also have a a, a resource page, which is at soulsandhearts.com backslash capital T capital O capital C, which stands for TOC, or you can go to the resources page off of our homepage. And that lists all of our resources or almost all of our resources in alphabetical order, everything from addictions to something that begins with W or whatever. <laughs> um, so, yeah. <laughs> so, so you can check that out. That's a really handy reference point for folks that would like to learn more about human formation resources grounded in the perennial truths of our faith. So. Cool. Awesome. And I'll, and I'll link as much as I can uh, in the show notes for, for people to just click and, and not have to take out a pen and paper. To <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, I'm, that's awesome. And I, I'm, I'm glad that there are people like you out there doing this. Cause I think um, like therapy, there's so many tiers to it, right? Cause like for some people, therapy, a private therapist can be a little bit inaccessible, you know, financially. Mm-hmm. And so to have mm-hmm. kind of at least some initial things there, some articles that can help them, like you said, start building that relationship with themselves. We can kind of understand right. themselves a little bit more. Um, I, you know, as much as that, that can be widely available, I think is a great thing. And if people want to get in touch with me, um, mm-hmm. I I have, um, for those that, so you should do this. You should go at least, at least listen to one of my podcast episodes or read one of my, one of my weekly reflections or do something in Soul yeah. 
But I hold um, I hold my conversation hours every Tuesday and Thursday from 4.30 p.m. to 5.30 p.m. Eastern time. You can call me on my cell phone, which is 317-567-9594 and have a private conversation for about 10 minutes, up to 10 minutes. And that is not, I want to be clear, that's not about clinical consultation. You can't like give me your entire history and expect me to, you know, (laughs) to consult with you clinically. But if it's, if there's a theme that you want to talk about, if you want to talk about spiritual bypassing, or you want to talk about um, God images, or you want to talk about uh, what's the difference between Catholic therapy and what we do in, uh, you know, in the RCC and the Resident Catholics community or whatever, you're welcome to call me. That's 317-567-9594. And, and, uh, I might not answer right away because I'm on another call, but, you know, leave me a message or something. And I do call people back because I like to be in touch with people about what they need. Yeah. And so forth, so. I love that. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> and the other thing is for the things that we charge, like the communities and so forth and souls and hearts, we never turn anybody away because of financial need. Uh, we always make it happen with scholarships or with write-offs or something like that. So we don't want the fees to be the tail that wag the dog. If you're interested in something that we offer, one of our courses or one of our communities, uh, let us know and um, and we can work out the money aspect of it as well. So that's great. And and can people make donations as well? You know, we do, we're not really set up to do donations. Oh, okay. Once in a while, once in a while, people do. And, you know, yeah. we'll, we'll, it gets we'll, we'll do that. Legal, you yeah, know, yeah. Well, I mean, we are, we're not we're not a nonprofit, actually. Okay. We're a, we're because, you know, we don't I don't think of myself. I don't think of Souls and Hearts as um as a ministry within the church. Why? Because we're dealing with human formation, right? Remember, it's pre-spiritual, right? We're yeah, doing, yeah, we're yeah, doing the, al- we're, we're, it's not the algebra, it's the arithmetic that we're doing. Right. And so, and, and we support ourselves primarily through the people that receive our services and value them, you know? So they're the ones that float the whole boat. You know, they're the ones that keep the lights on and allow us to be able to do a lot of free content because they're really committed to it. So we don't have any big pocket donors. We're not church sponsored per se. Um, You know, what we're really doing is we're trying to carry out what Gaudium et Spes, the Vatican II document says, of providing, you know, a, a kind of psychology, a kind of human formation resource that can be to the benefit of the church. And we see that as a viable sort of business model. You know, and so we don't want it just to be considered sort of a, a ministry or, or or something like that. We actually think yeah. we actually I actually think that all psychology should be Catholic psychology. Like like we shouldn't <laughs> just have, we just shouldn't have some little ghetto over here where a few Catholic right. psychologists can get a get, get along. I mean, I think I think the underlying epistemology, philosophy, theology, and metaphysics that's been revealed to us mm. in the church. You know, it's been revealed to us, and so. Um, so yeah, so we've we've been pretty diligent about not being sort of lumped in with uh you know with uh with with the rest of sort of the the ministries as good a work as they do because we're distinctive in the human formation focus that we have. So right. Which actually, I mean, that kind of does tie back to the over-spiritualization because I think there is that sort of pre-evangelization in a sense that needs to be done where you don't just go up to a stranger and be like, would you like to accept Jesus Christ? <laughs> uh, you know, that and that, and if you look at, um, so I'm trying to remember um, who wrote, Sherry Waddell, Forming Intentional yes, Disciples. Yes, yes, yes. You know, she has, she has that, that pre-evangelization stage, which, and what does she talk about? What are you focused on in that stage? You're focused on trust. You're focused on building a relationship because otherwise you're not going to be credible. You know, yeah. otherwise, why should they listen to you? And yeah. I, I take that pre-evangelization inside 
you know, to working with ourselves, to loving ourselves, to building that trust, which is why I don't always start with Jesus. I'm different than, uh, say, Bob Schutz, for example, okay. um, yeah. you know, who will who will bring in a lot of spiritual material a lot earlier than I will, because I want to reach out to the parts that I want to reach out to the parts that maybe are really angry at God, you know, mm -hmm. or that if you bring God in, they're gone. You know, or yeah, that if you bring God in, other parts will herd them in to the little parts dungeon daycare where they can't <laughs> cause any trouble, right? While right. other parts are being very proper with God, you know, and having tea or whatever, you know. Yeah. And I, I'm like, no, no, no. This, this, this. You know, I, I, I want to be, and and if there is really love between your innermost self and your parts, if you really are loving yourself, that's coming from God, but it's coming through you. You're mediating the love of God. You're being the conduit of the love of God to your parts. Yeah. That's, that's one of the things that distinguishes what we do from what the, the really good work. And I, I have a lot of admiration for Bob Schutz and the, and the John Paul II Healing Institute. I, I, I support their work, but we've got a different focus. And we're also really caring about, we're really caring for those parts. And we're assuming they exist that yeah. are alienated from God and won't immediately move toward Jesus if he's invited in. They want to feel the love of Jesus through a person that they trust. And that could yeah. be your innermost self or it could be somebody else. So, so that's that pre-evangelization that you brought up, which is, I think, inspired. I, I'm so glad you brought that up, Mary Rose, and that we got to address <laughs> that question because it's, I think it's really critical to what we offer. So Yeah, beautiful. Great. Well, again, thank you so much. I'm really excited to share this. And um, I wish you all the best with your, your work and um, your podcast and all the, the great resources that you provide. It's been a pleasure. This has been a fascinating conversation. Really enjoyed engaging with you. And, you know, I really hope this has been helpful to, to all of you, the listeners. Uh, so don't hesitate to reach out, check us out. And um, yeah, and God bless you all. And thanks for all listening. Right. Yeah. All right. Thank you. Thank you.